0: This is episode 549 of the Leaving Laodicea broadcast, and my name is Steve McCraney. As we shared last time, the problem today in our culture is not the increasing darkness, but the ever-diminishing light found in believers. And this seems to be a problem that has stalked believers since the beginning of time. We find it in both the Old and the New Testament. It's not that our enemy is too big, but that we make our God too small. And we make him that way through our doubt, our fear, our insecurity, and our lack of faith. So how can that change? Simple. We just have to see God for who he is and not who we think he is after we've stuffed him in a box of our own understanding and left him there on the shelf. And we allow our lack of faith to do that all the time. Today, we're going to look at David in Psalm 18, just the first three verses, and see how David encouraged himself in the reality of who God is and not who our culture wants us to believe he is, which is impotent, distant, not caring, and apathetic to the cries of his children. And quite honestly, nothing could be further from the truth. So join us today as we watch David grow in his faith in the midst of great trials, and in doing so, learn how to leave Laodicea. Behind. Last week, actually, it was two weeks ago, I basically preached a message to you that was based on this statement that I heard. And of course, the message had to do with the fact that we are light, where God is in us, and therefore we have a mandate to be light in darkness. And the statement was that the problem today is not the increasing darkness. And if you watch the news, if you go on the internet, if you talk to anybody, all they're talking about is how terrible things are right now. And it really is a chaotic time. Just the headlines today, talking about Putin um, threatening low-grade, low-yield, tactical Nuclear weapons against the areas of ukraine that they have now lost to the ukrainians and it's like a proxy war going on You had the pipeline that was obviously sabotaged some people say even by our nation. We are in october now so as usual there will be an october surprise so that we will not Vote according to all the stuff. We've talked about this last year instead. It'll be something new. It's a really Cataclysmic time we're living in. we just had this hurricane Wiped out huge sections of uh, Florida. I, um, I was born in Florida. I grew up in Florida. Um, very familiar with Fort Myers and all that area over there. Uh, I, we were down there through so many hurricanes. But the fact is, I've never seen any devastation in Florida like I've seen recently. mean, it's just terrible things that are going on right now. And yet, all we hear about is the darkness. But as I shared with you, the problem's not the increasing darkness. The problem is the fact that the light in us is being put under a bushel. That our light, which dispels darkness, is getting dimmer and dimmer and dimmer. And all, as Edmund Burke once said, all that is necessary for evil to flourish, remember the rest of that, is for good men to do nothing. Rephrase that. All that is necessary for darkness to dominate is for the light not to shine. For the light not to be the light. Jesus talked about in John chapter 3 that the darkness hates the light, wants to stamp out the light, because the light, by definition of being the light, exposes the deeds of darkness. When you express and show your light in the world right now, you will face persecution. Sometimes that persecution is really off the wall like SWAT teams and FBI agents coming to your house at 6.30 in the morning and arresting you in front of your five kids and hauling you off because a year earlier you had a confrontation with a man in front of an abortion clinic. Do you remember that this week? It's insane, the things that are happening right now. But if you want to phrase this differently, our enemy is not too big. It's just our God is too small. He's not, but our perception of his is. Our leaning on him is, it's, it's like we struggle with, I know God can, I just don't think he will. And we make him small by our fears, our doubts, our insecurities, our lack of faith, and, and it, it, sometimes it's debilitating. But what I want to encourage you with today is to let you know that all of that can change every bit of it can change. And it can change today. And all we have to do, he's not going to change. He's the same yesterday and forever. But all we have to do is see him for who he really is and worship him for who God truly is and not who we think he is or the caricature that we've created of him Of him is like, you know, you have God on this shoulder telling us the right things to do and Satan on this shoulder telling us the wrong things to do, and we're listening to both of those and can't figure out what to do. Like, for some reason, God and Satan are equals? Not at all. But sometimes we view life that way. And once we shift our thinking, everything changes. I was in, as a matter of fact, I, passages we're going to look at today In Psalm 18, verses 1 through 3, are the ones that I asked you to memorize. And my apologies for not seeing it. If anybody did that, I'll ask you at the end of this message um, before today's message. But we're going to start in Psalm 17. And in Psalm 17, uh, David has a problem, um, a really bad problem. He is struggling. um, And Psalm 17 is pretty much a lament. It's a, oh Lord, I have tried really hard and I've done really well and to the best of my ability. This is what I have done. And you've tested me and you've helped me and you've encouraged me. Nevertheless, those people out there, they out there, they're not listening to you. They're coming after me. They're trying to destroy me. It really hurts. It's really sad. And and then, of course, the latter part of that psalm, the the personal side is where he says, you know, Lord, deliver me and be powerful. It's like a, like a prayer of faith. If you go through this, you will find, and again, I've just circled these, the personal pronouns uh, as I was going through this, but like Psalm 17 verse 1, you know, attend to my cry, give ear to my prayer. Verse 2, my vindication. Verse 3, you've tested my heart. You visited me in the night. You've tried me and found nothing. I have purposed that my mouth shall not digre- transgress. Verse 4, um, I have kept away from the path of destroyer. Uphold my steps that my footsteps. Verse 6, I. And you, you just go through this and circle these personal pronouns, and you realize that David's pleading from the heart. God, I tried. I'm I'm struggling here. I've done the best I can. I call upon you, and I believe that you'll hear me, but nevertheless my enemy is big, my enemy is strong, my enemy is frightening. It goes from personal, I, me, my, to all of a sudden the they passages, which begin in verse number ten. They have closed up their fat hearts. Fat in the Hebrew doesn't mean excessive weight, like you need to go on a diet, It means fat, meaning prosperous, because fat people back then had plenty of food to eat. Most people didn't. They have closed up their fat hearts with their mouths. They speak proudly. They have now surrounded us in our steps. They have set their eyes crouching down to the earth as a lion is eager to tear his prey and as a young lion lurking and seeking in secret places, the enemy out there is about ready to destroy us and we're helpless and we can't do anything about that. Arise, O Lord, confront him and cast him down. And then the rest of this, verse 13 and 14, talk about this personal side where David is asking the Lord to, to do away with them. Verse 14, with your hand, From with your hand from men, O Lord, from the men of the world who have their portion in this life, whose belly you filled with your hidden treasure. They are satisfied with children and have the rest of their possessions for babes. In other words, they're so earthly bound. Lord, deliver us from these people. Psalm 17 is a lament, but Psalm 18 is thanksgiving because David has now responded, uh, our God has now responded. And it's a it's a prayer of thanksgiving. It's, it's amazing. And we're going to look at the first three verses, where it talks about how good God is, and how glorious God is, and even facing all the darkness. If I just focus my mind on the truth, that God, you're not little like I feel you are. You're not little like the world says it is. You are huge. You're magnanimous. And because of that, you're my strength and my stronghold. And you're amazing. And once David began to view God how he really was, his faith was revived. Because I'm reading these two, and I'm reading the lament in Psalm 17 and the thanksgiving in Psalm 18, and I noticed there was this little passage between those two. And it's pretty amazing. It's Psalm 17, 15. It's the very last verse of Psalm 17. It begins with this personal, um, this is what I've done and please do this for me. And you know, then it's this personal me, then it's they and how terrible they are. Then it's a little bit on the personal side again. And then there's like this, okay, I'm gonna take a deep breath because as for me, this is what I'm going to do. As for me, this is how I'm gonna live my life. In the middle of turmoil, in the middle of stress, In the middle of terrible times, I choose not to be like everybody else. Instead, I'm going to be different. Look at this verse. As for me, my lot, because you're sovereign God, or my my ambition, God, as a servant of yours, as for me, I will see. That's future. I will have the faith to believe that I will see by faith. Not your hand, not your power, not the vanquishing of my enemies, not everything set correctly, not a Republican House and Republican Senate and and Supreme Court justices that are all Christians and a Trump dynasty or whatever. Not any of that. In other words, there's something that even transcends that. Transcends your hand, transcends your armor, transcends it all as for me, I will see your face. I will see your intimacy. I will hear your voice. I will have the mind of Christ. I will understand my life is held in your hands. I will see your face in righteousness. And I will be, this is faith again, I will be satisfied. And that word means to be filled, to be satiated, to be full, to want nothing. I, I, I don't need any more. I will be satisfied when, every time you see a when passage, it, that's a that's a time indicator. When I awaken in your kingdom, I awaken with my enemies vanquished, I awaken with all of them under my feet, I awaken victorious. No, I awaken in your kingdom. Likeness. So, Dave, um, what are, what are we saying here, David? I'm, I'm saying this. I'm I'm overwhelmed. I'm lamenting. My enemies are are round about me. It's 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 a terrible time right now. I've got Saul wanting to kill me, and later on, Absalom is going to turn against me, and things are going terrible right now. And you know, I'm doing my very best, Lord, to try to serve you, but nevertheless. They, they don't want to hear what I have to say. They speak proudly. They've surrounded us. They, they're like a, a lion ready to devour us. But you know, nevertheless, victory and um, deliverance would be wonderful. But what I really want, God, what I really want is to see your face and to be like you. If you will just make me like you, I'll be full and satisfied and want nothing else. Just to be like you. I'm reading this. I stopped right there and spent some time praying about it and kind of taking my own desires for our world right now and and funneling through what David's desire was and ended up kind of wanting. And and so then I began looking at Psalm 18. Psalm 18 is a psalm of thanksgiving. Psalm 18 is one of those amazing psalms that is not only listed here, but it's also listed in 2 Samuel 22. And to give you a little history, Psalm 18 was written probably between 2 Samuel 10 and 2 Samuel 11 and 12. In David's life at 2 Samuel 10, they finally defeated the Amorites, and all of David's enemies were put under his feet, and then there's this pause between uh, chapter 10 and Chapter 11, because Chapter 11, of course, begins the dark side of David's life—the whole deal with Bathsheba—and so we've got this psalm that he's writing, probably between, um, probably between in his life chronology, Second Samuel 10 and Second Samuel 11. But then it's repeated in Second Samuel 22, and in Second Samuel 22, David is old. In 23, he dies. And 22, he is old. He's looking back on his life, and so he repeats this psalm kind of as a testimony to the Jews at that time, talking about God's faithfulness in his life, even when he was not faithful. And it's uh, it's pretty amazing. It's not um, it's not an exact duplicate of Psalm 18 in 2 Samuel 22. As a matter of fact, in 2 Samuel 22, David now ten chapters later from when he originally wrote it, adds a few things. And so what we do on Tuesday night Bible study is we basically take, for example, uh, all four gospel accounts and put them all together in one narrative so we can get a complete picture of that. That's what I've done with Psalm 18, just the first three verses, along with 2 Samuel 22, verses 2, through two and 3, to kind of combine those together to see exactly what David was saying is an affirmation to the Lord. But before we do that, I want you to notice how this psalm begins. This has a rather uh, long introduction. And here's what it says. To the chief musician, David's writing this. A psalm of David, not king of Israel. He's not dealing with political things at this particular point in time. What he's doing, is talking about spiritual things, and he now identifies himself as a servant of the Lord. It's no longer what I do on this earth that matters, my position as king of Israel, but instead as a servant of the Lord who spoke to the Lord the words of this song on the day that the Lord delivered him from the hand of all his enemies and from the hand of Saul. Pretty much Second um, Samuel chapter 10. And he said... So here's the combination of this psalm. And I'm hoping as I go through this with you today, that it will become an affirmation for you, that you'll memorize it, that when things are going bad or things are going tough or you don't really know what to do or what's gonna happen or or uncertainty has hit your way, that you can simply just recite this with your mouth or you can think these words in your mind and realize who it is we serve and who but who we belong to and who he really is. Our God is not this small little white cherub angel who's equal with the devil. Our God is sovereign. He is powerful. He is omnipotent. He's beyond comprehension. Psalm 46 says that I am the Lord and there is none like me. And he was communicating that to a people who were worshiping Idols engraving images that can't speak or talk. You ought ought to read that uh, passage in Isaiah. Here's what it says. I will love you, Lord. I will love you. I will love you, O Lord. That's a choice David is making. By the way, in the Septuagint, the word for love here is agape, agapeo. I will love you, O Lord, my strength. Then he begins to define the God that he loves, just in case we forget who he is. The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer. He is my God. And Second Samuel adds, the God of my strength. Both 2 Samuel and Psalms say in whom I will trust. My shield and the horn of my salvation my stronghold. And then 2 Samuel adds, and my refuge, my Savior. You saved me from violence. I will call upon the Lord, who is worthy to be praised. So shall I be saved from my enemies. I will love you, O Lord, My strength. That's who you are. Every strength I have comes from you. The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, my God, the God of my strength in whom I will trust, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold and my refuge, my Savior. And being my Savior, you saved me from violence. I will call upon the Lord, who is worthy to be praised, so shall I be saved from my enemies. I'm sitting here, and I'm trying to figure out the best way to communicate this to you. And so what I've done is I'm going to use that schemata there, and I'm simply going to highlight some of the words. This is one of those psalms where you have the choice like I have. There's a couple I wills in here. These are things that David has committed to do, just like you can commit to do no matter what your circumstances are. We have an I will at the top. We have an I will at the bottom. And then we have a, um, an implied I will in the middle I will something. I will put my trust in you after I describe who you are. And at the bottom, I will something. Doesn't matter what the world says. Doesn't matter how I'm feeling. Doesn't matter how bad the circumstances are. Doesn't matter if I'm a refugee in a foreign land. These are things that I choose to do. And if I choose to do these, there's a promise at the end. I will something, I will place my trust in you, I will something else, and the promise says I'll be saved from my enemies. I'll be saved from those people who try to destroy me. I'll be saved from those people who want to kill me. I will be okay, because the person I'm placing my trust in is beyond comprehension. So, um, Lord, what are we supposed to do? What What are David's, I will? Well, first thing he says is that I will love you. And then I will call upon you. I will love you, and I will call upon you. I will adore you. I will put you first in everything in my life. I will consider you the greatest knowing you, the greatest blessing I have ever received. There is no power out there greater than you. So therefore, when things are going really bad, when I don't understand the dynamics of what's happening right now, I nevertheless will call upon you, the one I love, and I will place my trust in you for only you can save and you can redeem and you can change. As a matter of fact, I will call upon you Who at the end of this is worthy to be praised. You're worthy to be called upon. Why would I spend my time looking for anything else to handle my problems, any other light to shine in darkness when you are the only one that's worthy of praise, of halal? So this is what David chose to do. But it's not blind faith. It's not just stepping out into the darkness and hoping things work out. Instead, his faith was based on fact. His faith was based on a collection of some of the strongest words I've seen in the Psalms that indicate the validity and the stability of the person he's trusting. I will love you, O Lord. O Lord. This is the ever-present one. It's the the name of God, the I am that I am, I will love you, O Lord, because you are my strength. And then all of a sudden, it's like David is praying, and he says, I will love you, O Lord, my strength. And then he stops and goes, you know, that doesn't really do it. That's kind of personal. Uh, He's my strength, but God is, is much more than that. As a matter of fact, other people may want to know about the faith I'm placing in this God and how much I love him. So he he begins this next phrase by saying, the Lord is, the Lord that I love, the Lord that I'm trusting, the Lord that I will call upon, let me tell you who he is. So those of you who lack faith will understand that my love and my trust and my desire to call upon him for help is founded on something far greater than wishful thinking. I will love you, O Lord, my strength. Why? For the Lord is my rock. I started uh, again. No way we're ever going to get past verse three today. But I was looking at this idea of a uh, of a rock just in the psalm. The Lord is my rock. First thing he says. And I turn to verse thirty one. And it says, for who is God except the Lord? Who is a rock except our God? I look at verse 46. The Lord lives, exclamation point. Blessed be my rock, capitalized. Let the Lord of my salvation be exalted. I mean, rock, stability, everything that conveys that. The Lord is my rock. Notice how personal it is. And my fortress. It's like something now built upon a rock. And my deliverer. He's my rock. He's something built upon the rock, whatever the word fortress means. And he's one that will deliver us from evil because he is a fortress. Standing or built upon the unmovable rock. He is my God. He is the God of my strength. I am nothing without him. I am weak and I'm like a wind, a weed blown in the wind, but with him, I have the ability to stand. He is my God of my strength in whom I choose to trust, in whom I place my faith in everything in my life. He is my shield and the horn of my salvation. He is my stronghold, which is like a fortress, and my refuge. He is my Savior. He will save me from violence. Very easy, if I view God this way, to call upon him, because he is worthy to be praised. And the promise says, so shall I be saved from my enemies. So shall I be saved from my enemies. So I I need to know um I need to know what these words mean but before I do that I want to kind of read them through and I want to see if I can feel exactly what David's saying. So David has just now been delivered it says from all his enemies. This is before the fall with Bathsheba. All of his he he never thought it would happen. I mean he was for years he uh He was out in the wilderness running from Saul, and then, of course, he became king, and he had to fight the Amorites and the Hittites and and other people that were there. He, he, He went through extreme measures to be able to be the king God wanted him to be, and then all of a sudden, victory takes place. All of a sudden, it's all over with, and what he ends up doing is proclaiming how good God is. And he just sits there like you and I, and he says, I love you, oh Lord. I can't tell you the number of times this last week uh, that I've done just that. I'd be driving in a car and I'd be thinking about this or thinking about something I read. And, and I would just, I'd just stop and just, Lord, I really I do. I love you. You know, I, I mean, I, I love my wife and I love my kids. And, you know, I understand that kind of love. But you, God. I mean, someone I've never seen, someone who I feel their presence, someone who I can see them moving, someone who reveals himself to me through the word, but I love you, God. I love you because you're everything. I mean, I am nothing, and you are everything. I love you, my Lord, my strength, the ever-present one, the I am that I am, the God, the name of God that you revealed yourself to Moses and to all of us. Nothing matters but that, God, I just I, I love you. And it's almost like it's almost like there's somebody sitting in the car with me that says, why? Why would you love this God you can't see? Why would you love this God that you can't touch or feel? What has God done for you that makes you express such gratitude and affection for Him? Okay, I'll tell you. Because the Lord is my. He will be yours too if you receive him and embrace him and allow him to be. But he is my rock and my fortress. I mean, I'm I'm still standing, I'm still here. No matter what the enemy throws at me, it's it's okay because I'm a rock that just weather's a storm. I'm a fortress built on a rock. And he, not only that, he is my deliverer. When I can't deliver myself, he delivers me. As a matter of fact, he delights in delivering me, doesn't even want me to deliver myself. Vengeance is mine, says the Lord, for example. He's my God. But if that seems trite, he's the God of my strength. Everything that allows me to stand in the face of adversity. Everything in me that is light, that tries to be stamped out by the darkness, I'm still standing, not because of my strength, because of his strength. He is the God of my strength. And because he's the God of my strength, I trust him explicitly. I started doing a study, a personal study, where I looked at the Hebrew word and the Greek word for trust uh, through the entire scripture and I'm going through them one by one, seeing what it says. You ought to do that sometimes. take you a long time. I'm still not done, and I've been doing it for weeks. It's incredible just what the Lord says about trust. It's the key to our salvation, and it's the key to what we talk about the higher Christian life, that the intimacy, that I shall be satisfied when I awaken in your likeness because I trust in you. He's my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. And all these words, my refuge, my Savior, who saves me from violence. Amazing word there. Because of that, God, no matter what happens, I'm not going to rely on my own wits. I'm not going to do the things I want to do. I'm not going to trust my own mind or feeling or intuition or my own heart, which you said is deceitfully wicked. Instead, I'm going to call upon you because you're the only one worthy to be praised. And you will save me from my enemies, just like you promised. No matter how big they are, no matter how magnanimous they seem, no no matter how insignificant I seem, because you are God and there is no one like you. As I always do, I want to see exactly what those words meant, because I didn't want to miss any gems the Lord had there. I will love you, O Lord the several names in the old testament for lord and god this particular one is the proper name that god used to reveal himself to israel it's the name that god used at the burning bush with moses it means i the i am that i am it is the ever-present god i'd love that it's become more real to me over the last couple months not the god who was not the god who will be not the god who might but the God who is with you at all times, the ever-present one. I am that I am, not I was or I will be, have to hold on to some other thing. If you meet the grade, I'll be that kind of God to you. No, I am right now that I am, the ever-present one, always with you, always encouraging you, always shining light in dark places. I will love you, O Lord, my strength This particular word for strength here is used only this place in the Old Testament. And it means to fortify, and it means to be strong and courageous, to make firm and steadfast. You are my strength. You are my courage. You are the one that gives me strength. If I'm standing, it's because of you. If I'm not worried about, as Jesus said, going in front of kings and governors, and I know that you will be my strength and give me the exact words I need to say, in the hour that I need them. Do you remember all that? This is the God that I love, the God who does everything. I will love you, O Lord, my strength, my rock, which means a stronghold, a cliff, or a large stone, my fortress, which is a fortified, defensive structure, a place of hiding in the wilderness where I feel safe and secure, because it's built upon the rock, and it's surrounded by my deliverer, the one who delivers others from pain, suffering, hardship, death, to bring to safety, to help escape, to rescue, to save. This is who my God is. The Lord is my rock, my stronghold, my cliff. He is my fortress, my defensive place, Of hiding in the wilderness. He is my deliverer. He is the one who will bring me out of pain and suffering and turmoil and hardship. He will help me escape. He will save me. This is the God that I love, and this is the God that I serve, David is saying. Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, my God or the God of my strength. Different word for strength here. This refers to a large rock like a boulder or a rock wall or a mountain. In the beginning, it is he is my strength, but now he is the God of my strength. And this is even bigger imagery here. He is the God of the mountain. He is God of the the cliff. He's God of this monumental rock wall that protects a city, a fortress. This is my God. And whom... I will trust. And by the way, this is where it all hinges. You know, we can sit here and talk all day long about who God is, but if you don't believe it and you don't trust him, you receive none of the benefits. None. I mean, it's like he sets this massive table in front of us for the banquet of our lifetime, but if we refuse to go in and sit down and eat for whatever reason, it's all wasted on us. It's ours by our inheritance, but it's wasted on us because we refuse to partake. And partaking comes from trusting. In the Hebrew, the word means to take or seek refuge, literally to seek shade from a tree, place of of safety and security, or to find a safe location. I am am 67 years old. I got saved when I was 28. And I can honestly tell you that uh, being under the wing of God, our being in the shade of his tree, our being in whatever safe location he places you, is the best place to be ever. Would you not agree? Ever. And it comes from trust. I will trust you. I'll trust you that you've got this plan. I'll trust you that you know what's going on. I'll trust you that you really care about me, that you've not just left me off the language on my own, that your word is really true. And when I do, God becomes every one of these things to us experientially, not just theologically. God of my strength and whom I will trust He is my shield. Oh, this is what happens in the middle of a battle. You know, it seems like the other passages talk about what happens when we're, you know, not in combat, but now we're in combat. And he now is my shield. He's my defensive piece of armor that's used to block blows and other forms of attack from the enemy. It means protection. Literally, it's used in the book of Job as the scales of a crocodile. That imagery just got me. That's, that's who he is. When I'm under the attack... It doesn't say that I'm, I'm supposed to worry about things. In other words, when the attack is coming, Paul says in Ephesians 6, the 6 that I have the shield of faith, which extinguishes everything the enemy can throw at me. And here God is that shield. So everything that comes my way never gets to me because it's protected by my shield, by God himself. He is the horn of my salvation. The horn, of course, talks about strength, like the horns of an animal, or even the horns of the altar, the uh, horns of my salvation, which is the act of deliverance, where God is rescuing me from harm and placing me in a place of safety and liberty and freedom. My stronghold, like a high place, and my refuge, a place where I go to escape or or flee from, from danger, like a retreat. My Savior, who's personified now, is the one who rescues and delivers me because he saves me from violence. I want you to look at the Hebrew word for violence. Recognize that word? It's Hamas. You know what Hamas is? We've all heard of Hamas, have we not? Palestinian terrorist group that always wages war against Israel? Gosh, I wonder if it's a coincidence. But the very name of that word means cruelty, damage, injustice, or to do, or do a wrong against someone undeservedly. So, what will I do? And this is where faith comes in. Well, I will call upon the Lord, I will summon, I will invite, I will invoke. I will pray to him, I will beseech him as a child talking to their loving father. I will call upon the Lord, the ever-present one, the one who revealed himself to us at the burning bush. I will call upon God, who more than anything is worthy to be extolled because of his greatness, to exclaim hallelujah. I will call upon the Lord, who is worthy to be praised, and I shall be saved from my enemies. And the Hebrew word for enemies implies all sorts of enemies. It's not just defined to military enemies. It's it's personal, your personal enemies. It could be you. It's it's your national enemies. It's an enemy of God or just any general foe or adversary. It's like this blanket term that lets you know that you will be saved and delivered from anything that comes your way when we call upon him. Um, this is a, this is like a mantra. This is like something that you need for a faith affirmation. I, um, I was watching, uh, facing the giants this last week for the 375th time. And, uh, I don't know, it really just hit me. I hadn't seen this before in that movie. Um, he's at the end of his rope. Um, the co- the team or the parents want to get rid of him. He has a losing record and, you know, they're going to fire him. He, uh, he's unable to produce, uh, give his wife a, um, a child. His head doesn't have any money. His car's breaking down. I mean, he's just really in despair. So much so, there's a scene where he's just sitting at the table with his wife, holding his face, crying in his hands, going, why is this so hard? He wakes up that night, spends a lot of time in prayer, realizes God is God, makes some faith affirmation, and everything changes. If you remember the scene, he walks out early in the morning into this like peach grove and he's standing there with the light shining and he opens up his Bible and he quotes, quotes Psalm 18, one through three. It says, I will love you, O Lord, my strength. The Lord is my fortress and my deliverer, my God, my strength in whom I will trust, my shield and the home of my salvation, my stronghold. I will call upon the name of the Lord for he is worthy to be praised so shall be, I be saved from my enemies. And if you remember the movie, he goes, God, I need you. I need you. I feel like there's these giants out there just staring down at me. I don't know how to beat them. I don't know how to fight them. But you are my God. You are on the throne. If you don't want me to, If you want me to have another job, so be it. You don't want me to have any kids, we won't have any kids. But you are my God. And there was this transformation that took place where his situation didn't change immediately, but he did. All of a sudden he realized, yes, you know, the the fear and doubt and insecurity that made God so small is now vanquished because I'm looking at your word and I'm trusting it for what it says, and my faith is now rekindled by the truth. Rekindling faith is something that we need to do a lot. Matter of fact, Paul is sharing this in his last letter that he's writing to his son in the faith in the very first chapter. Timothy was obviously struggling, probably struggling with fear and insecurity and and not being as bold as Paul wanted him to be. And what Paul is saying, you need to rekindle your faith. Remember who you are and who you serve. Therefore, I remind you, he said, to stir up that gift of God, which is in you, which belongs to you, the power of the Holy Spirit. And you remember when you got confirmation of that, through the laying out of my hands. For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and love and of self-discipline or a sound mind. You know, rekindling our faith is something that we need to do. And this passage here is a classic Perfect passage for rekindling your faith in the midst of great darkness. I want to encourage you to write this down, to memorize it, and to quote it. Oh God, you know, I'm getting ready to go into work today, and things are really tough, and I don't know how things are going to work out, and economy's bad, and you know, my boss is hard to live with, and you know, just I mean, things are really rough right now. But you know what, Lord, I will love you because you're my strength doesn't really matter what happens or what comes my way. You're my fortress. You're my deliverer. You're my stronghold. You are a rock. And therefore, if I am in you, I will be that rock, unyielding, unwavering in the faith I have with you. Because things are not going to get better. They're going to get darker. And what we need to do is live according to the truth that we know here and elsewhere in Scripture. Last thing I want to share with you is the passage that I just read uh, opening our time together from Isaiah 46. It's kind of like exactly what the Lord is telling him here. Remember, recall, just state what you know to be true. Remember this and show yourselves men. Again, if we read this back in the context, men back then were warriors. Men back then were tough. Men back then were protectors. What, what we teach our kids, uh, what the Bible teaches is men and women, you may find this controversial in our culture, men and women have different roles, especially in a family. A man's job is to be a provider, a protector, and a spiritual leader. That's what the Bible says. It's a man's job to... To take care of the needs of a family, it's a man's job to protect his family spiritually as well as physically. It's a man's job to be the priest in his family because he is supposed to be the spiritual leader. Our culture turns that all upside down. Man can't do that because if a man is a provider, then what? He's better than me. I don't want to be a provider. I don't want to do that too. So I'm going to go out and do the stuff that I want to do. And you know, a woman's job is to be more of a nurturer. Bible talks about the fact that a woman. You know, is to be a keeper at home and and raise the kids and all that kind of stuff. And although that's been trashed today, nevertheless, from the Hebrew vantage point, when this was written, what he's saying is to the Hebrew man, don't be like women. Be strong, be courageous, literally be unflinching and unblinking in the face of adversity. The John Wayne sort of guy. Got to get through me. before you get to my family rather than, well, I don't want to impose and stuff of that nature. I mean, our whole culture, even the church has turned this upside down. But what it says is, remember this and show yourselves to be men. Men, recall to mind, oh, you transgressors. And in context, he's not talking about those people who follow idols. He's talking about those people who don't trust God. Remember the former things of old. Remember how it used to be. Remember what God has done in the past. Because I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is none like me. Even though you don't understand the fact that I'm sending Cyrus in to crush your country, I'm doing that because someday you'll get your country back and we'll rebuild Jerusalem. It's all part of my divine plan if you trust me. There is none like me. Well, in what way, God, are you different than everybody else? I declare the end from the beginning. Nothing surprises me. I know exactly what's going to happen tomorrow, today. And if I know what's going to happen tomorrow, and you know me, that should be sufficient. Should it not? From ancient times, things that are not yet done, saying my counsel, my plan, what I have determined to do will stand, and I will do anything that brings me pleasure. And what brings me pleasure is making sure that my children are well taken care of as a good father to show yourselves men. I want to encourage you to, more than anything, um, our nation and our country and our world right now needs light. We've talked about it for the past several years about being a faith prepper i have uh we talked about the higher christian life which is designed to help you experience more of god to not be so fixed on this world but instead understand the true reason why god saved you in the first place he didn't save you in the first place to have a big house to make a lot of money you know he saved you in the first place to bring him glory to to be his light in darkness, to be about what he wants you to do rather than what you want to do. All that's turned upside down in our culture. and It's not the way it's designed. And so as we begin looking at our world right now, I want to try to encourage you to take this mantra, realize that you are divinely powerful in him. That you are light in darkness in him, that God himself lives in you. I mean, just think about that for 20 minutes. God himself lives in you. He wants to take all of you, manifest himself completely in you, just let you bear his fruit for that you don't produce for the Father's glory to be light in darkness. I mean, that's our legacy. That's who we are. And I'm telling you, our culture needs the light of you and me stronger than it probably ever has before in the past. So let me encourage you. There's nothing to fear because God knows exactly what he's doing. God can do anything he wants to do. Our Father is in his heaven, my life verse, Psalm 115, verse 3, and does whatever he pleases. We just need to yield ourselves and trust him and then leave the results up to him. Amen? Read this passage, commit it to memory, recite it three or four times during the day, facing a tough situation. God, I will love you, God, no matter what you send me through because you're my strength. You're my strength. God, you're my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, and I trust you. What do I care what the world says? Because I trust you. You're my shield when they come at me and the horn of my salvation. You're my stronghold. And you know what? I'm calling on you right now because you're worthy to be praised. And I believe one way or the other, however you choose, you'll save me and deliver me from my enemies. And I will rest and trust in that. Let me pray.